0: with me for the reading of God's Word. We are in 1 Timothy, chapter number 2, and verse 8, verses 8 through 15. 1 Timothy, chapter number 2, verses 8 through 15. And we read, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, and doubting in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression, notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. You may be seated.
1: Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Timothy. And I do have a real burden on my heart today with this message that I'm going to preach from 1 Timothy. And remember, Timothy is about how we as the people of God need to behave ourselves in the house of God. We have to remember, this isn't my house. This is God's house. And when you have a house, you could, you lay the rules. You, you lay down what the groundwork of responsibilities are in your house. And you lead and direct your house a certain way, and God leads and directs his house a certain way. And his house is a house of prayer. And that's what we're learning in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we even said last week our theme for the entire year, we want to be to pray for all men to be saved. We have a worldwide mission in, and vision in prayer to pray for all men everywhere to be saved. And that's from verse 1 that we pray for all men. Why do we pray for all men? Because verse 4 says that God will have all men to be saved. Today I want to speak to you about the great needs of a countercultural church. And I want to explain there's really two great needs from this passage that we'll look at that are very important for a church as we want to behave ourselves properly in God's house. Great needs of a countercultural church as we live out love in the city and live out love in this church. And the first thing I just want to say is that Christianity is is a courageous faith. We need to be courageous if we're going to live for Jesus Christ. We need to be willing to sacrifice to live for Jesus Christ. That's why we sang that last song today about being a soldier and put your armor on. We're, we're in a warfare And what I'm going to speak to you on today, it's not going to be easy for me to speak on it, and it's not going to be easy for you to hear it or or to live it out, but we need to take on our armor, and we need to take up our cross, and remember that the cross is not just a piece of jewelry we put on, but it's an instrument of sacrifice and death. And when you go to the cross, you die. And that's how we have to live in God's house, crucified with Christ. Because He was crucified for us. So at the heart of Christianity is sacrifice. It's giving ourselves completely over to Him. Not doing our will, but doing His will. We have to ask ourselves, what is His will? This passage tells us important things about His will. And we're not here just to become comfortable. We're not here to pat ourselves on the back and say, Oh, I went to church. I'm a good person. We're We're not a social club the local church is god's house it's it's in a sense where we gather together to get instructions for the battle of life life is warfare and we're not here to affirm people in their sin and their idolatry and their immorality and just help you to have your best life now Our goal is that you live for the glory of God, that you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you know you're forgiven of your sin and on your way to heaven, and then journey through this life as a child of God on your way to heaven. My goal is not to be relevant today, but to be reverent before God. My goal is to challenge you to believe truth, even when it's perhaps inconvenient and unpopular. And the truths I'm going to preach today are in the Bible, but they get people upset. So if you're looking for a little controversy today, you've come to the right place. This is perhaps the most controversial passage of Scripture, one of the most controversial in the entire New Testament. Many people despise the Apostle Paul because of this. They call him a woman hater. They call him wrong. They say he's the eternal enemy of women, some people say, of Paul, because of such a passage that... Was read today in First Timothy, chapter number two. So let's begin. I just would like to read verse eight, and then we'll begin the message. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. So turning your Bibles, please to First Timothy, and let's pray as we begin today. Now Lord, please work in a mighty way in this in this time, and Help us to remember we're in a spiritual battle. And Lord, we're in a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and even our own flesh fights often against you, Lord, but help us to submit and say, Yes, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm not looking to be progressive. Sometimes that's a political world, I'm a word. I'm a progressive. But what people mean by that is they're saying we need to progress past the ancient traditions of the bible and that's how our world looks at the bible as just some ancient book of the past that we need to progress we need to stop thinking that the bible's true and we need to be progressive i'm looking to learn how to live the bible that the bible is the unchanging eternal word of god inspired by him and to live according to the scripture that's what we want to do now Great needs of a countercultural church. We have to understand who we are as men and women, and this passage addresses both men and women. We must believe in the equality of the human race. Whether, whatever language somebody speaks, whatever nation they're from, whatever the pigment of their skin, whether they're a man or whether they're a woman, and there are only two genders, male and female, according to the Bible, but all men and women are created equal. But this does not mean that there are not differences between men and women. Men and women are different. And our culture is thoroughly confused about this. But the Bible teaches that women can bear children and men cannot. So right there, I'm telling you, men and women are different. And the differences are rooted in creation. We'll see. Men and women are different and have complementary roles. We need one another. We complement one another. We're living through a war against God. Henry Morris called it the long war against God. It's like a revolution is being taken place is taking place right in our right in our midst. And here are the ingredients of this war if you will, the ingredients of this social experiment, this attack against God's Word and ways. First of all, attack the authority and inspiration of the Bible. Second of all, establish the lie of evolution. Third of all, then remove the Bible and prayer from all the institutions, from schools, from government. Get it out of your family. Don't pray in your homes. Women, leave your homes and go into the marketplace. Find your fulfillment In your job and not in your family. Replace conception with contraception. Yeah, I said it. Promote then a heavy dose of no-fault divorce. Multiple remarriages. Abortion. Add in premarital sex. Adultery. Extramarital sex. Do whatever you want, actually, when it comes to sex. Add in homosexuality and a strong dose of pornography. Distract the populace with the press that's nothing but pure propaganda with promoting these lies. Distract young people with social media, with TikTok and YouTube and all those other platforms that we're familiar with. Fill their diet with sugar and fast food. Over-medicate them for their depression. Vaccinate them from the time of their birth over 68 times to the time they're 19. And put all of this into the oven. And what does it cook up? It cooks up a depressed, overweight, overly medicated, cursing, abusive, over-vaccinated, sickly, godless, infertile culture. That has broken families, compromised churches, and a corrupt government. Our culture is confused. We're at war against God. And the pressure to compromise is on every one of us. It's on our church. It's on men. It's on women. It's on every home. To conform to this world. Am I right? But my Bible still says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. So the church is not to conform, but we are to be a... This world, let me put it this way, is so radically ungodly. If you try to live for Jesus even 10%, you'll be, you'll be called weird and an oddball and radical yourself. If you try to live for Jesus 100%, you'll be called all kinds of other names nowadays... But let it happen. This world is so radically ungodly, the normal Christian life will appear insane. Let the world call us what they want. Let us conform ourselves to the image of Jesus Christ and the obedience of His Word. There's two things I just want to really say, two main things from this passage. Now, ladies, Paul addresses the men in one verse, and ladies get extra love. From all the way from verse 9 to 15. So I'm going to hit the men pretty fast, but I'm going to hit the men. Because men, if we do what Paul says right here, we would have far less problems in this society that we're living in. Perhaps everything that I just said about our war against God in this culture is because we don't have what it says in verse 8 where Paul says, I will that men do what? Pray everywhere. If we had praying men, we wouldn't have a culture at war against God. Men, we need to pray. That's what Paul says. I will that men pray everywhere. And he's talking about really in the house of God. We need praying men. Now, men, let's face it, women outdo us in prayer. More women come to prayer meetings. Women more regularly read their Bible. Women read Christian books. What about men? Men don't pray. Men think often, our culture says that spiritual work and prayer and going to church, that's the job of the woman. That's not in my Bible. Jesus Christ was a man of all men. And He chose men to be apostles. And it was men who led in the evangelization of the world. We need to have praying men in our culture who know that prayer is hard work. Prayer is God's work. We need praying men. Do you know more women serve in the church? More women teach Sunday school classes? More women teach the children in junior church? Where are the men. We need praying men, I say. If men will pray, women will follow. If men will pray, women will gladly submit to praying men. This world will not encourage you to pray, dear men. Show me a commercial that encourages you to pray. Show me a TV show that encourages men to lead their homes in prayer. There isn't one. But this is the Bible. See, we need praying men. You men, you want to find a wife? Be a praying man. You want to be a good husband? Be a praying man. You want to be a godly father? Be a praying man. You want to serve in the local church? Be a praying man. He says, I will that men pray everywhere with purity before the Lord. With purity. Holiness isn't something just for the ladies. I will that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands because their lives are pure. You know why men don't want to pray? Because they're full of guilt and sin and pornography and adultery and fornication. We need to repent so that we can pray. We need to be men who will be pure before God. And if you need to confess your sin, thank God we have a forgiving Savior. So we need men to pray with purity before the Lord. And we need men to pray to have, with peace before others. It says, I oh, will let men pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands. And then it says, without wrath and doubting. The wrath there is anger. You know know why men don't pray? They're angry. Many times men are angry at their father. Or they're angry at somebody at work. You don't pray when you're mad. You know what you do when you're angry? You complain. You murmur. It says without wrath and doubting. Doubting. God doesn't love me. There's no God. The Bible's not true. And with their anger, they dispute with God. That's the idea of that doubting too. It's, It's like questioning God arguing, anger, and arguing. You could almost read that. So men need to pray with holy hands, with purity, and with peace. Pour out your heart to God, men. But get rid of your anger. And Don't fight against God. Because we're going to have to stand before Him someday. Get right with God. We need praying men. Boy, do we ever... This perhaps is the foundational problem to our society. I will therefore that men pray everywhere. That's what Paul says. Okay, I hope I hit the men hard enough. Ladies, what do do you think? Because here I come. You ready? Okay. You know, we love you ladies. Some of the most godly people I've ever met in my life have been in churches, small churches like this, whether in Brooklyn, Sister Kathleen James, known her for so many years, going all the way back to 1984, when the James family came into our church, when a 25-year-old pastor started that church. They've known me since, since people were telling me, oh, you're so young to be a pastor. I was pretty young back then, right? Didn't people say, oh, he's so young to be a pastor. Now it's like, when are you going to retire, pastor? <laughs> Man, with peace. But I want to talk now about how we need submissive women. And I, I, I use that word because Paul uses it here, and he uses it in other places of the Bible. But he says in verse 11, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. The idea of subjection there is the idea of submission. This word submission really can trigger some people. But you cannot have order in any organization, whether it's the military, whether it's a job, whether it's a church, whether it's a family. You have to have submission. People who understand their role and then get in line with what their responsibility is. That's really submission. Without submission to society and to the laws of our country, there would be anarchy. So submission is absolutely important. And there's two key areas that Paul talks about in this passage where women need to show submission. And the first one is, verses 9 and 10, it's in submission in the way you adorn yourself. The attire. He he says the attire you put on. Your clothes. In Verse 9 and 10. Let me just read it, please. Again, it says in like manner also that That women adorn themselves. Now, when he says in like manner also, he could be saying that as you come into the house of God and pray, that this is how you should attire yourself. This is how you should dress. He says that, uh, he says, adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair, gold, or pearls, or costly array, but which becometh woman professing godliness with good works. So there's a submission in dress here. And I just put this timeless principle just to try to encapsulate those verses. Is that a woman is to dress in in such a way as to communicate the kind of person they are. And the way you dress communicates the kind of person you are in your heart. So dress in a way that is appropriate. Notice the word that becometh in verse 10 but which becometh women professing godliness. In the, the word becometh, I put appropriate. dress in a way that is appropriate for a woman who is professing, and you could also read the word promising there. You know what Christianity is? Christianity is saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is holy, and now I want to follow Him and be, be what kind of a person? Holy as He is holy. Christianity is a promise that I want to do my best by the power of God in me to live a holy life. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So the idea there of professing is in coming to Christ, you promised before God, your, your profession of faith in Christ was a promise to Him to live a holy life. So dress in a way that, that, that reflects that promise to God that you want to live a holy life. Dress in a way appropriately that becomes or reflects your desire to live a godly life. Not a glamorous life. Now, the word modest there in verse 9. You see that word? You like that word? Adorn themselves in modest apparel. And you see the word adorn? in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Both of those words are actually the same word. The root word of them is cosmos, which is the world. In other words, how God has orderly arranged the world. And the idea of adorn and modest, It's we, you, you get our, your word cosmetic from that. Okay, It comes from the idea of adorning yourself. I'm going to put cosmetics on my face. Cosmetology. I'm going to learn how to adorn and order makeup on a person and whatever. So the idea of cosmetic is the idea of adorning in a modest way, though. So, or, order uh, uh, modesty is orderly putting putting yourself in the right order, in a way that shows that in your heart you want to please God. That's what Paul was saying there. And in First Timothy chapter three verse two, if you just to let you know that some of these same qualifications for the women and their submission is for me too. Do you know that same word adorn and modest is used for the pastor in chapter 3, verse 2? It's translated a different way in English, but it's the same Greek word. You could check it out. You see where in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it says a pastor must be of good behavior. That means I'm supposed to be modest. I'm supposed to have my life properly ordered as well. So I preach to myself to live modestly. So ladies, this world is not a modest place. You're not going to learn how to live modestly by looking at TV commercials and going to Macy's or going to the different stores and they're not going to encourage you. This world is not going to encourage you to be modest in your appearance. And let's face it, our culture is radically immodest. There's skin-tight clothes and low necklines that want to show your private areas, high hemlines that make men very interested and get distracted. Men are very interested and distracted by a woman's beauty. Men are really, we're not a whole lot to look at. (laughs) But ask a man if a woman is something to look at. Well, yeah. So adorn yourselves in modesty. So the three principles here I want to look at is, and, and I'm just going to list them here. The first one, and there are blanks in your notes, in your bulletin if you're following along. The three principles of a woman's outward attire is that it should be a mirror of the inner woman. So the way you dress outwardly should mirror your inward heart. And the two words there for this principle, in verse nine a, it says, "In like manner also that women adorn themselves in mo- with modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety." Now we don't really talk that much that way very much, like shamefacedness. But you know what? It's only that word only appears twice in the New Testament. The other time it's translated reverence. So dress with a, a desire to live reverently before God. Now, realize this. Paul's writing to, the, to Timothy, and he was trying to fix problems in a church in Ephesus. Ephesus had one of the largest religious centers in the world at that time, and it was, it was a temple to Diana. and it was, And there was prostitution associated with the temple. So there were women dressed in a certain way as to be provocative and also to basically announce what they wanted and what you could get from them. And so... Women are to, Paul's saying, women, dress in a way that is reverent, with sobriety. And that word sobriety, it's also the last word of verse 15. You see in verse 15, sobriety, with shamefacedness, that's reverence. Sobriety is inner self-control, to control your passions and desires. Now, all of us have to do that. We all have passions and desires. We have to bring them under the control of the Holy Spirit. And it's at the end of verse 15. He says that women should continue in faith and charity and holiness with what? With sobriety. But again I say, ladies, the very same word is used for a pastor. It's down in verse 2 also of chapter 3, where it says that a pastor must be vigilant and sober. That is self-control. As a pastor, I have to be self-controlled. And so do you ladies, and so do all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. So, submission and dress should mirror the inner woman. Shamefacedness is reverence, sobriety is self-control. That word so- soberness or so- uh, sobriety is also used where Paul was telling Festus, he says, but that Paul spoke forth the words of truth and soberness. So that's the Christian life. Words of truth and self-control. The second thing there is that, Principles of a woman's attire is it should avoid extravagant expenses of time and money. Now, you're going to spend some time adorning yourself, and that's obvious. You're going to spend some money. You have to. You have to put on clothes, and you have to make yourself look beautiful. Women want to look beautiful, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. God made you that way. God made you, actually, ladies, to to fix your hair up. Ladies like to fix their hair up. That's, that's you in the image of God. The hair is the glory of the woman. But, but the point of this verse isn't that you don't adorn yourself to be beautiful. That's not the point. The point is, is that you don't make extravagant expenses in time and money. That's what he says in verse number 10. He says, I'm sorry, verse 9. He says, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly. That's a key word. They're costly. Array. Now, he doesn't give a dollar amount, what's costly. You have to use your wisdom and self-control to know what you should buy. But, you know, as, as a pastor, I have a Honda. That's a middle-of-the-road kind of, middle-of-the-price kind of, you know, it's a faithful, reliable car. But I don't have a Porsche. What if, as a pastor, I said, I want a Porsche church. Unless you get me a Porsche, I'm, I'm going to go to another church. You would say, go to another church. Okay? So it would be costly at an unnecessary expense. You wouldn't want a pastor driving around a porsche, I don't think. I hope it's OK. I have a Honda. <laughs> With over 100,000 miles on it now. Go please to First Peter chapter two real quick, because really Peter reiterates and emphasizes exactly what Paul is talking about here, because this passage doesn't stand alone. 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 2. Talking about wives who don't have saved husbands. And he says in verse 2, while they behold your chaste conversation, that's your pure or holy conversation or lifestyle, coupled with fear, that is the fear and reverence of God. Verse 2, and then it says, who's adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plating, the hair, the wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. Now, you're going to do those things, but do it in a way that's not extravagant and that you spend so much time and effort on that you don't have time to come to church or you don't have time to spend in prayer or or walk with God or read the Word or take care of your family is really the idea there. Avoid those extravagant expenses and don't get sucked into the glamour of this world. And what one thing I read in ancient times is they would that the ladies would would braid into their hair the gold and the pearls and it was very expensive back then, uh, much more than maybe even today. So they not to braid it all into your hair and spend, you know, fifteen hours doing that or something. And the third thing here oh and there's the verse. But he says, let it be the hidden man of the heart. And that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, of great price. So, your inward adorning is more important than the outward adorning. And the third thing here is a woman's dress should be submissive in that it should mirror the inner woman, it should avoid extravagant expense of time and money, and it should reflect a godly life, professing godliness. Dress in a way that reflects your promise To live a godly life. So if you dress biblically, I believe you will dress differently from the world. Is that fair to say? So dress with a dignity of purpose. How's that? Dress with a dignity, because you are a dignified person. You have dignity before God. You bear the image of God. Don't demean yourself. Dress with dignity of purpose, not to be a distraction, because you're beautiful, and if you dress immodestly, you'll distract the men. (laughs) Dress differently from the world. That's what I'm appealing, modestly. The second thing in submission is submission in local church ministry. And that's in verses 11 through 15. So he deals with dress in verses 9 and 10. And you cross-reference that. And I say, ladies, study this out for yourself. Study it out and pray. I would study out the Scripture, these verses in Timothy and first Peter chapter 3, and pray over these Scriptures and say, God, what would you have me to do to live out these, this truth in the Scripture? Because it's in the Bible. Don't hate on Paul. Don't hate on Peter. They were just writing what God had them write. The second thing now we talk about is submission in local church ministry 11 to 15. And the basic principle here is that Paul is limiting the teaching ministry of women in the church. You alright with that? <laughs> Paul is limiting the teaching ministry of women in the church. And he roots that roots his reasoning in creation. Not just what was happening in the culture at that present time. But the the principle is rooted in the creation of Adam and Eve. So the first thing we want to see is that women are not to have a teaching role over men. This is verse 11. He says, Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. Now, when it says... Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Then he he further explains that in verse 12. I suffer not a woman to teach. So he's limiting the teaching role over men in the house of God. Why is that? Teaching is an authoritative transmission of the truth. And that's an important statement. I believe it. I put it in your notes. Teaching is an authoritative transmission of biblical truth. I want to just go to some of these verses very quickly. Look in First Timothy chapter four, verse number 11. First Timothy four verse 11. Can you get that verse? It says, "These things command and teach." So that authoritative teaching is to be done with, "Thus saith the Lord, command and teach. Teaching is done with authority. Look in Acts chapter 13, where in, this, in the church of Antioch, notice what it says. This, the idea of teachers is teaching of the whole church. In Acts chapter 13, he says, now there was in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. And he goes on, and they were all men. Barnabas, Saul, and others. They were men. And also the idea of teaching. Remember Ephesians 4.11, God gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So teaching is an authoritative transmission of biblical truth. Teachers have a position of authority. And a pastor, in the next passage of Scripture, in chapter 3, what does it say of a pastor in chapter 3, verse 2? A pastor must be what? Apt to Teach. Now, and I grant you this message today I'm trying to more more teach. Apt to teach is a pastor must have that ability to teach. Now the word silence doesn't mean that a woman can't speak. But it, it's speaking more of her demeanor of quietness and not arguing back and talking against. And it's used this same word for silence, and it's used twice there, where he says, "Let the women learn in silence with all subjection." And but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. So it's used twice there. And you know, listen, let's all wrestle with it. Wrestle with it. I wrestle with the scripture. I don't come before you today and just blown off steam. I, I read hours and hours and hours to be able to stand here today, even though I'm stuttering and stammering at times. I, I want to know what does the Bible say, and to the best of my ability, teach that, and, and encourage you to live it, and I live it. That's that's it. None of us are perfect, but the word silence there is countercultural for sure. <laughs> it's not what the world tells ladies to be assertive, your rights, feminist movement, and all. A godly woman will be a bit of a cultural rebel. But I always like to be a rebel at heart. Let's rebel against the culture and live for Jesus. How about that? We could be rebels for Jesus in our culture. You know, this was, a, this was a rebellious culture back in the day. You know, the hippie movement and, and all. Uh, like, kind of rebelling against the established culture. Well... As Christians, let's let's keep up the Grange Village ideal. Let's be let's be rebels for Jesus. Completely dedicated and surrendered and standing against the, the tidal wave of ungodliness. Women are not to have a teaching role over men. But he says to be in silence. If you look in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, it talks about that, that same word silence is used and it says with quietness, do your work. So it's with a peaceableness, a quietness, a quiet spirit. That's what Peter was saying, with a meek and a quiet spirit. In the sight of God, that's a great price. Okay, so women are not to have a ruling role over men. Not to usurp authority over the man. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. Somebody's going to teach. I'm teaching here today. Paul is not saying that a woman... Doesn't have authority to teach, actually, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but just not to take the authority over the man. And let me say that this is dealing with in the church in this passage. And also, we know that in the home, who's the head of the home? Who did God say is the head of the home? The husband's the head of the home. That's what God said. He's the one who ordained the home, established the home. He defines the home. He could say who should be the head of the home. And and this is the church. Jesus said, I'll build my church. It's his church. He's the head of the church. He could say whoever he wants to take the lead in the church. And God says that he wants the men and not the women to take the authority over the men. So this is what God has said. Now, I don't see any New Testament principle for government, however. And if there was a woman who had my values running for a political office, I would vote for that woman. So this is not talking about government. The third thing is that women can teach in the church and must teach in the church. They're to teach other women and children and thus greatly influence all of society. So some women say, but you mean I can't be a pastor? Yeah, that's right. Because it says in the next chapter, it says that if a man desire the office of a bishop... That only a man is to take the authority of that position in the church as a pastor. And that a pastor has to be the husband, or or, if he has a wife, is the husband of one wife. He's a one-woman man. It's impossible for a woman to meet that qualification. A woman is not a man, and a woman is not the husband of one wife. So, uh, this is a pastor. But women can and must teach. And they teach other women, Titus chapter 3, that the older women are to teach the younger women. And therefore, women have an incredible influence and teaching role in the church. Not only that, who's Paul writing to here? Timothy. Who taught Timothy at home? His mother and his grandmother. And Paul even tells Timothy that he from a child knew the Holy Scriptures, which made him wise unto salvation. And so, women influence preachers when they teach them at when they're young. So, women teach. That's what women love to teach. And women are great teachers. And I would say number four here, this is consistent with the overall New Testament teaching. What Paul is saying here is not an outlier. In other words, are there other Scriptures that also fit with this and corroborate this passage of Scripture? Well, let me ask you this. How many women did Jesus choose to be apostles? I just read that scripture. I didn't read the whole thing, but in Acts 13, go back to it. Who were the pastors and teachers, or the the prophets and the teachers of the church of Antioch? How many women were there? None. In the New Testament, is there any example of a woman being an elder or a bishop of a church? No, it's a a masculine noun. And so we we could go on and on with this, but so this is consistent with the rest of scripture. I'm getting some feedback here on my. uh, Is somebody on? Can somebody talk? Go quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Very important passage that also corroborates this passage here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now people will say that I'm a sexist for speaking this word today, but I'm just doing my best to preach the Bible. Jesus wasn't a sexist. For calling all men to be apostles. No way. That would be blasphemous. But here's the order here 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse number 3. And this is again rooted in creation. He says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. So men have an authority, Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. So Jesus Christ has a head, his father. There's not, submission is a wonderful thing. And submission doesn't have anything to do with superiority or inferiority because Jesus is co-equal and co-powerful with the Father, and yet it says the head of Christ is God. The head of Christ is His Father. So, And it's, and it's because man was created first. And we'll see that even in Timothy, but we all know that God created Adam first. And now look, go down, I'm not going to read this whole passage, go down to verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. You there with me? It says, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman is of the man. Now why does he say that? Because God put Adam to sleep, and what did he do? He took the rib and made the woman out of the man. So the woman is made out of the man. The man is made before the woman. And then it it says in verse 9, neither was the... The man created for the woman. Oh, my. It says the man was not created for the woman, but the woman for the man, to be a helper, suitable for him, to be complementary and work together with the man as your head. So, this is basic teaching of the Bible. Now, there are various attempts by evangelicals to weaken Paul's argument restricting women and I was really interested in this quite frankly and and I read a lot about it and I wanted to know well why do some churches especially Pentecostal type churches and they they can be lovely people very sweet Christian people but they do allow women preachers in their churches and other denominations as well have women, women pastors and things it's like why how do they deal with the scripture well they weaken Paul's argument And they do it various ways. And if you go back to 1 Timothy, I'd just like to show you just a couple of the ways people will try to go around Paul's teaching and say that women can be pastors and can take the authority and be teachers in the church. Well, some will say, going back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, what I read is where Paul says in verse uh, 12, especially, verse 12 is the crux verse. He says, But I suffer not a woman to teach, or I do not permit, I, I do not permit a woman to teach. So some will say, Well, Paul says it's just I he does it. He's not saying the Lord wants this, but this is Paul's opinion to try to weaken that prohibition from women leading. And then others will say that the word I suffer not is a weak word. And it's not a command. It's not actually in the imperative tense. It's just in the present tense. And so Paul's not commanding this. And some people then say that Paul's saying, right now I don't suffer a woman to teach. Right now. But later they can. So some, you know, that's how they reason this out. But I want you to notice this passage. Look at, again, look at verse 12. Look at it carefully for a moment. Paul says, but I, the I is a personal pronoun, I, suffer not. That is a present tense verb. It's not a command, it's a present tense, which, which really means ongoing sense or responsibility to it. But he says, I suffer not a woman, and he says, to teach. That's an infinitive tense, an infinitive tense. So there's a personal pronoun with a present tense verb and an infinitive tense verb, okay? Where wherever we see that order of a personal pronoun, a present tense verb with an infinitive, it always has the it, it, it has the force of a command. And actually, even in this passage of scripture, in two other verses, you see that same order. So look at verse one. I hope I'm not boring you getting down into the weeds too much on this, but I want you to look at verse one where Paul says, I, there's the personal pronoun exhort that's not a command but it's a present tense verb i exhort therefore that first of all supplications prayers intercessions giving of thanks be made there's the infinitive so there's the personal pronoun a present tense and an infinitive but is that something we're to only do for a particular amount of time but not ongoing no we're supposed to be praying for all men all the time so and then he does the same thing in verse eight Where he says, I. There's the personal pronoun. Look at verse 8. I will. There's the present tense verb. I will therefore that men to pray. There's the infinitive. To pray everywhere. So he has the personal pronoun, the present tense verb, the infinitive. And he says that men pray everywhere. Now let me ask you this. Is this a command that's authoritative for all time? Yes. So in this passage, he, he uses that same order. And each time... It's a universal statement. And this combination never means just for right now, but not for later. So I believe Paul is making a universal statement here. Thank God for the ladies in our church. I mean, the ladies in our church do so much work they do the music, they do the food ministry, they teach the children, they go on mission trips. They clean the tables. They encourage us. They pray. They lead ministries. Women lead ministries in our church. Lead the women's ministry. Lead the the care card ministry. Dear Sister Helen Stevens sat in that seat, right, where Edgar is right now, for 25 years before she went to be with Jesus in heaven. What a great servant she was. Josephine Armstead, who's not with us very much these days because of physical incapacity. But what a great servant Josephine has been. Visiting in the hospitals all over the place. Karen Dykers also. She's with, with Jesus now too. She started the homeless ministry in our church. A woman started the homeless ministry in our church. Women do so many amazing things. Thank God for women. And I've... I I think I get along well with the ladies here. Is everything okay? I mean, I praise God for the women. I praise God for my wife. I've been married 41 years. Thank God for women who love the Lord and who understand their roles. So we work together. There's plenty of ministry for men and women to do in the church. Differing roles do not diminish anyone's personal value. Submission to authority does not devalue anyone. It gives you strength. It gives you power to serve God, to do it under authority. Jesus Himself submitted to His Father in Heaven. And I assure you, I want all men and women of this church to grow into Jesus Christ. The basic principles, and I'm trying to move fast, but I'm going to finish this message. I don't know, I didn't even look at the clock, but can you just hold with me? I don't know what time it is, I don't even want to look. Just the bottom line reason. A couple bottom line reasons. Number one is the creation order. And under that, I put it this way. God desires the creation order to be on display in the home and in the church. That's why the man is the head of the wife. That's why the woman is not to usurp authority over the man in the church. God wants the creation order to be on display in His church. And that's what it says in verse 13. For Adam was first formed and then Eve. So he says, I suffer not a woman to teach or to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, some of us are going to say, Well, why is that? That's not fair. God says, Because I created the man first and then Eve. And that's just the way he did it. Adam's headship was established in creation and it will never change, it is a timeless principle. You cannot change what a man is. You cannot change what a woman is. Our society is screaming to us what happens when this creation order is denied. There's confusion. So, this statement makes clear. Okay, listen please. This statement in verse 13, For Adam was first formed and then Eve. This statement makes clear that Paul's counsel to the church in Ephesus... That led him to the conclusion that women were not to have a teaching role or a leading role over men in the church. It's rooted in creation. It transcends whatever's going on out there in our culture. See, our culture will say, "No, women, you know, should be able to teach and lead." Okay, that's fine in government if you want, if that's what you want in your church. But this is the church of Jesus Christ, so we have to seek to do things according to what Jesus says here. So this statement makes clear that the creation order transcends the cultural situation. And if we do not believe in creation in the truth, in the church and seek to live out this creation order, if we do not believe in creation and seek to live out this order, who will? Who will? Nobody will. Church, we need to hold on to this. So the creation order and the second thing here, bottom line reason, not only the creation order to be on display in the church, but the fall of man. Now, look at this verse. It's interesting. It says, for Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now, I'm not saying a whole lot of things I could say. Let me just tell you, I'm trying. I I actually I'm trying to just say the most important pieces, but there's a whole lot to be said. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So Adam didn't do anything wrong? Is that what Paul's saying? No. Whose responsibility is it that sin is in the world? For by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. Women, actually, you get to duck and the man gets the blame on this. It's Adam who's held responsible because God gave the command to Adam. So what is Paul saying here? He's not saying that Adam didn't sin. He's saying that Eve was deceived in her sinning. Adam was purely, directly, rebelliously disobedient. So in the fall of man, and this is the way I put it here, Eve took the lead and was deceived. Man in silence obeyed Eve and directly disobeyed God. The fall happened when a role reversal occurred. So my take from that is, let's not have that role reversal in the church. <laughs> and if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, it's actually quite Go, Can you go back there for just a moment? Genesis chapter 3, what does it say about the serpent? What does it say about him right up, right up front here? He's more subtle. He's very tricky. A- and you know the first way we see his subtlety? Who does he talk to? He talks to the woman. Now, you might think, oh, Adam wasn't there. Oh, yes, he was. Because after she ate the fruit, the first thing she did was, here, try it. <laughs> she gave it to him, and he's like, no, oh, no. Yeah. Okay. He took a bite, too. So, the serpent is so subtle, he engages the woman and not the man. So, Eve takes the lead, and then the serpent deceives the woman. And that's what she says down in... In verse number 13, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. The serpent beguiled her and tricked her. So the, the issue here is in the fall of man and in the story and what Paul's bringing out is that the woman assumed headship over the man and the man remained silent. The man remained silent. It should have been the other way around. As soon as the serpent started talking to Eve, Adam should have said, excuse me, I'm the head here. (laughs) But he didn't. He didn't take the lead. And the woman assumed that headship. And where she should have been silent, he was silent throughout the temptation. And here's the point. If men abdicate their authority of teaching and leading in the home. If men give up that authority, guess who's going to take over? The woman. And once you give that authority up, bye-bye. You're not going to get it back. And the same thing in the church. So, There was one, I want to read this one quote. I thought this was interesting. And it is this, that the man is given the responsibility and headship in the home and church. Why? He's been prepared by God to discern the serpent's lies. Now, that the woman is not to take the authority over the man doesn't mean that she's going to get everything wrong and she's going to teach heresy. Actually, there was heresy being taught in the church of Ephesus And the heresy was being taught by men. There's Alexander, there's Philetus, there's Hermione, there's different names. Not one of them is a woman. So, God is not saying that the woman is not to uh, take the teaching role and the leading role in the church just because she's going to teach a whole bunch of heresies. No, men will teach plenty of heresy too. Sad to say. But... The point is, is that men have been prepared by God to discern the serpent's lies. So men, study the Word of God and be a praying man. It goes back to that. That men would pray and get to know God and and keep your family strong and lead your family. And we need men. That's why, you know, and we have wonderful ladies. And on Mother's Day, we have ladies pray and read Scripture. And I love that. I love that. And it's not we don't have the ladies appear uh, on a regular basis praying and reading the Scripture, not because we don't want them to or because they can't do a good job or maybe, that they, maybe they can't even do that. And I, I'm not sure. I'm not saying it's absolutely wrong for a woman to stand here and pray and read Scripture because we have them do that on Mother's Day. But I simply want men to learn to take the lead because men don't naturally want to do it. You know how many men I've asked, could you read the scripture and pray? And they're like, oh no. <laughs> you know, and they come up here shaking like a leaf. And that's okay. Because I was shaken like a leaf too when I did this at the beginning. But we need men to learn to take the lead. And ladies, help us with that. I have a quote here from John Stott. It's in your notes. It's a very good quote. And the reason I put this here is he's not a fundamentalist. He's a mainline, mainstream evangelical. But he has a lot of respect from mainline evangelicalism. But John Stott said, all attempts to get rid of Paul's teaching on headship, I have it up on the screen, on the grounds that it is mistaken or culture-bound must be pronounced unsuccessful. It remains stubbornly there. It is rooted in divine revelation, not human opinion, and in divine creation, not human culture. That's very good. Paul's reasonings and teachings here are rooted in divine revelation. Not, this is not his opinion. It's not, I, I trust this isn't my opinion. It's in divine creation, not human culture. In essence, therefore, it must be preserved as having permanent and universal authority. Now, the last thing and quick is the blessing of childbearing. Okay, So we're talking about submission in local church ministry. The basic principles... The bottom line reasons and the blessing of childbearing. Can I say to you, ladies, thank God for those of you who've been able to have children. The blessing of childbearing. Aren't you glad for, that women can bear children? I'm here because my mom had me. I'm thankful for women who bear children. I wouldn't be here. That's not a sexist thing to say. It's not a sexist thing to say, ladies, get married and have children. It's a beautiful thing. Have as many as God leads you to have. Have a whole bunch. Have children and bring them up for the Lord. Look what Paul says, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. If they continue in faith and charity and holiness with that self-control, sobriety is self-control. That's a very interesting verse, isn't it? Now, Paul is not talking about being saved to go to heaven. He's not even talking about being saved from physical death because plenty of godly women have died in childbearing. I believe what he means here by being saved is from the danger of the worldliness of our culture. She shall be saved through childbearing or in childbearing. You know, all of us are looking for identity. All of us are looking for fulfillment. And what he's saying, what Paul is saying here, I believe, is you you want to to find fulfillment in your identity in life. It's not by dressing glamorously and by spending a lot of money on clothes. It's not by taking the, the authority over the man and by taking the lead in everywhere you go. That's not where you're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction and your identity. But women find their identity by having children. Now, our society puts that down, but that's the way God made you. Men cannot have babies, so ladies, we need you here. So, women can be saved from the danger that the world puts on you, the pressure that this world puts on you, from finding your identity through the clothes or taking authority, is to bear children, bring them up in the Lord's nurture and admonition, and then... Continue then in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. And he uses the word being saved here, notwithstanding she shall be saved. If you go quick, go to First Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. He uses the same kind of word to talk to Timothy as a pastor or as a leader in that ministry there in emphasis, try to fix the problems. In verse 16, look what he says in chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save yourself and them that hear you. You know, was not talking about his soul being saved. He was already saved, but being protected from falling into the traps and pitfalls of the false teachings and the culture. Our culture has a lot of pitfalls for you to fall into. So to be safe from that, fulfill your role and your responsibility as a woman, as a woman of God. And I'll say this and I'll be done. Because some of you are not going to have children. You're single. Maybe some people who are married would love to have children and God has not allowed that. That's okay if you're single. Don't have babies out of wedlock to fulfill that verse. And maybe you could... Uh, Those who are married and not able to have children, plenty have tried to adopt children or foster children. And that's a beautiful thing. Some have done that here. And it's a wonderful thing. But you could still overcome the culture of this world by being a single woman or if you don't have children, as you embrace your role as a woman and then live a life of faith, love and holiness and self-control. Find your fulfillment in submission to the Lord's Word. And to his ways and to Jesus Christ. But you know, I would love to see more people get married in our church. I would love to see men falling in love with women. Isn't that, that's a beautiful thing. We're going to have a wedding in March, by the way. Uh, Jeff, not feeling so well right now. Brother Teddy got married back there. Teddy, congratulations on your marriage. You just got back from Bulgaria. God bless you, Teddy. We look forward to meeting Nora. Stand together as we close. I'm going to ask Sid to come and lead us in a song. If you have any questions about what I've said today, come and talk to me. And speaking to this many people on this subject... There's no way all of you agree with me. I mean, that's the way I, f- I figure it. That's okay. Maybe I didn't say, maybe I didn't even nuance something right. Maybe I said something a little off. I don't know. I have to listen to the tape. You, you could tell me. But I've, said, I've spoken from my heart. I spoke because I, I love you. I love this church. And I love our, we love our Lord. And as we close, I just want you to remember Jesus Christ. How He submitted Himself to His Father to come to this world and be abused, misused, mocked, spat upon, beaten, and then nailed to a cross for my sins. And if He could submit Himself to His Father, All of us must submit ourselves first to Him as our Savior and then to Him as our Lord, to follow Him, to serve Him in a way that is appropriate with our role in this life. Not all of us are going to be a pastor. Not all of us are going to be a missionary. Not all of us can play instruments. Not all of us can play this piano so beautifully. But all of us can serve God. So serve the Lord with your whole heart. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Let's pray. Father, I just commit this time to you now. Thank you for the kind and wonderful attention of your dear people to hear this word. This is your word, Lord. And we have sought to expound and rightly divide it to the best of our frail abilities And I pray that you'll give our church your full grace, that we would serve you well in this place, Lord. We want to serve you so that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We realize we're in your house, Lord, and we only want your glory in your house, for you are the head of your church. In Jesus' name, amen.